want simplicity, city, country, kids, no kids, young, old. Today is about what simplicity could look like for you on the Lotox Life podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I am Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 275, and I have the wonderful author Jody Wilson with me today. We are discussing simplicity, and we are doing that through the vehicle of Jody's beautiful new book, Practicing Simplicity, which traces her own personal calling towards a simpler life. Uh, an upheaval as a complete non-camper of her entire family into a camper van and traveling Australia, what she learned through that process, but also as she cautions simplicity and the discovery of it and what it will mean and what it will look like in your own life is not about picking up and jumping in a camper van necessarily. That's just how it evolved for her to explore the topic of simplicity. Uh, So today is very much an emphasis on choose your own adventure. Here's how Jodi did it. Here are some of the themes in both mine and Jodi's life that we explore and how we have found simplicity. I talk about doing that in inner Sydney, living five minutes from the CBD. Uh, and it's a really, really beautiful chat. Jody is uh, a wonderful modern philosopher, I think, uh, and expresses her views in such a gentle way, as well as ask, helping us ask ourselves the right questions to find answers within ourselves. So many of us so busy, so many disconnected, so many yearning for something deeper and I believe this show will help you start a bit of a magical exploration. Uh, It's certainly given me some wonderful things to think about as well. So uh, I'm going to hook into that conversation in a little minute. I just want to remind you that we have some links for places that you can donate for flood recovery and the communities on the east coast of Australia who are currently having to face rebuilding everything. Uh, There are ways that you can donate books. There are ways that you can donate straight to councils who are helping local families. There are incredible food relief uh, units on the the ground and you have all of those links in today's show notes as well. And I've also provided some useful links for those of you wanting to do more for the crisis in Ukraine. I know a lot of people are hurting right now. We're hurting because our fellow people are hurting and we want to know how to help best. So in today's show notes, you have some resources to help you connect. I know a lot of people go, but I don't, how can I trust who I'm donating to? And it can be a real challenge. Uh, so enjoy those, use them. Let's do this. Let's help. Uh, and then, of course, a big thank you to our major show sponsor, Oz Climate, for providing all year this year a wonderful 10% off their already Dis, uh, discontinued, they're not discontinued, they're not going anywhere, discounted prices on their dehumidifiers and air filters 
incredible quality. You have compact sizes, larger units for bigger homes. Uh, I know everyone on the East Coast uh, has been battling excess moisture and trying to get on top of things like mold. But I always say the best is prevention when it comes to mold. You just want to try and do whatever you can to create that indoor air environment that's under 60% humidity where mold just doesn't get the opportunity to grow. Of course, unless there's a systemic leak or um, a bigger issue that you need to get to the root cause of. But everyday humidity in the hotter months in humid climates, we can prevent mold. That is the good news. Head to ozclimate.com.au. Your code is LOWTOXLIFE. And now let's talk simplicity. Enjoy, guys. Hello, Jody. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm good. Oh, I'm very excited for this chat. I feel like uh, chatting to you about this theme uh, within the world we live in right now is like a verbal cup of tea. That's that's my prediction for this conversation. <laughs> I, I hope I can um, come to the party then. I'm sure you will. Um, I want to just jump straight in and say uh, one of my favourite things about getting to know you better through this beautiful book, because we hadn't ever met before uh, in person, is that you start with a real choose-your-own-adventure vibe. And being a fellow, do it your way, how it lands for you with what you have right now, uh, person, I've always taught that way, coached that way and encouraged people that way. It just was so, um, it made me so happy to see another voice uh, similar to the wonderful Brooke McCallery in this space, just helping people feel like they can read and make things their own story rather than feeling like they need to copy a guru as such in that space. And I I hope my wish is that those days are over, that guru uh, copying um, culture. It's, it's still everywhere in diet culture, unfortunately, but in your book, you just right from the get-go say, uh-uh, this is not about you trying to do what I've done. This is about my story and how it lands for you and plays out in your own life is entirely your adventure. So I want to ask then, were there supporting people as you grew up uh, or was it your own self-realisation journey that um, made you adamant to allow space for people to discover things in their own way as someone who then writes and potentially guides either directly or indirectly, people who read that book? That's a really good question. And I think what I've always had a very strong um, belief in is my intuition. And even from a very young age, I can remember times when something didn't feel right and I wouldn't do it. And I can't even really pinpoint what it was, but I just remember having a very strong intuition as a child. And as I grew older and, you know, I was the firstborn child, I was a, you know, straight A student, perfectionist, and we all know that those things can come together in teen years or even earlier um, and manifest as, as quite powerful anxiety. And um, I was very determined in my final year of school to um, get a very high mark because I wanted to do journalism at UTS. And I did that 
but I, it wasn't without, um, you know, looking back. I, I was, it was just like anxiety and panic for a whole year, but, you know, um, but I did it. And so um, I went on to study journalism and then in my very early 20s I had my first child and I'd always felt like I knew I was going to be a young mum. All right. Um, yeah, which is which again is that intuition. But I also feel that in my late teens and early twenties, anxiety clouded my intuition a lot. Mm. Um, and I feel like when we are kind of anxious and in a heightened state of awareness, we aren't because intuition. You know, we talk about it being like a gut reaction. Yeah. You know, and. And to tune into, you know, that gut reaction, we have to be grounded. And relaxed. And, and in relaxed. parasympathetic nervous system mode, absolutely. Exactly. So in my early 20s, I actually started um, practising yoga. Um, I walked into a yoga studio just before my 21st birthday after coming out of quite a traumatic relationship and um, essentially found my ground in that, in that space. And um, soon after, I met my partner and, and we fell pregnant. And, and so I started that mothering journey at a very young age and um, when, when none of my friends were on that path either. So it really kind of rocked me socially. Um, but... ..the way than what felt best for me and my baby. Um, and I've got four children now. And, and so that's really, I've really just always come back to the question, what's sustainable for me as a woman, as a mother, and what's sustainable for us as a family? And I know we talk about sustainability so much in regards to the environment um, and to the plastics we use and to the things we buy. And they're all really good questions, but I think we really need to quite often and on a day-to-day -day basis, come back and say to ourselves, is this sustainable for me? Can I keep living like this? Um, and, and that was ultimately one of the questions that really prompted um, us to pack up our lives and sell most of what we owned and travel Australia in a caravan. Wow. So it sounds like you're a born simplifier in a way, thanks to that intuition that maybe went wayward a few times uh, with the mm. perfectionist teen years. Mm. And, and, and so packing up your family and heading off on this incredible journey was just another manifestation of that. Um, was it almost like a this is not and therefore we need to blow it all up to put it back together again? That's exactly what it was. Mm. And I feel like, I mean, to paint the picture, I had um, four children my, my oldest was nine, my youngest was three months old when we made this decision. My partner was working in the film industry, which is quite a demanding job, and he was commuting to Sydney um, three or four days a week from the central coast of New South Wales. I had one child at preschool, had two at primary school. I was running here to and everywhere in the car. I was trying to be a freelance writer. I, was, I had a washing, massive washing pile. I, there were always a massive stack of dishes. There was, as I say in the book, always a lot of odd socks, but there's always <laughs> going to be a lot of you odd socks. You are definitely not alone. 
<laughs> I'm a family um, of three and we have a lot of odds. So, yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I just remember, you know, I opened the book by talking about the night that we were in the theatre watching our firstborn on the stage do a performance based on Alison Lester's picture book, Are We There Yet?, which is the story of her family and their, their journey around Australia in a camper van. And my partner, Daniel, turned to me um, and he said, we should do that. You know, we could do that. We could travel Australia in a caravan. And my intuition got in their way before my consciousness did and I said, yes. And he looked at me really perplexed because <laughs> I'm a perfectionist with a fear of change. Predictability is always my preference. Um, but I just knew then we were in a golden pocket of time and I knew as well that greater than my fear of change was a very profound fear of complacency. And I remember standing in my suburban rental a few weeks before we made that decision to travel and just thinking this can't go on because this isn't sustainable. Like I'm not happy here. This is utter madness just driving here, there and everywhere all the time and this perpetual juggle um, and no breathing space. Um, and it really it is exactly what you just said. It was like we could have chosen a few things to simplify, but instead it was like, let's chuck this all out the window and start again from scratch in a very, very different way of living. So we did. Amazing. Mm. I love it. Uh, and isn't it amazing how uh, so many people have these crunch moments, ahas, um, I need to blow it all up to put it back together again, but true to the choose your own adventure theme and spirit of the book. Um, it really does look just so different for everybody. So it's almost like as a, um, as a uh, caveat right now, I just want to say maybe the answer is not packing everything up and going in again. It's like sometimes we see people do things to achieve a sense of, um, uh, evolvedness in their own consciousness and realizing their true selves. I think, oh, if I do that exact same thing, that's going to produce the same result for me. Look how happy they are now. Can you speak to that a little bit? I can, absolutely, because I know that, you know, 98% of people listening to this and 98% of people reading my book could not think of anything worse than living <laughs> with five other people in a caravan for two and a half years. Mm. And, you know, it, like as I say in the book, it was not all sunsets and, and beach views and, um, and, you know, Instagrammable moments. There were so many arguments and tantrums. And, you know, no matter where or how we live, there is the work of life. Mm. There's, you know, there's no escaping the washing or the dishes or the fact that gastro is going to come into your life, whether you live in a house or a caravan. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I would recommend it in a caravan. Not my best week. Um, yeah, so I just, I was on the road, you know, we, we would really kind of gotten into the groove of things and I started to really think about the fact that, we were living so well with so little, which prompted me to the next question was, well, what do we need to live well? And as I started mulling over that 
you know, that question, I started realising that everything I was experiencing on the road wasn't dependent on living in a caravan at all. It was just about making really conscious decisions every day. And, you know, the beautiful Annie Dillard writes, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And I think the uncertainty of the last few years and the collective heartache and exhaustion that we're currently wading through, and it is really heavy, I feel like all we really can on today. Can you, say that, can you say that sentence again and I'll edit it? It just cut out. I feel okay. like all we really... I feel like all we really can do is focus on today. And, you know, you go to any meditation class or any yoga class and you speak to anyone that um, works in, in that field of, of mental health or um, mental well-being and everyone says the same thing, that just focus on today, just bring it into the here and now. Um, and that was really powerful for me on the road because we didn't know where we were going to be, you know, in two days' time. And, not, and all we really could do was just appreciate, you know, where we were today. Um, and I think what made that incredibly possible for me was um, stepping away from a life where there was a lot of obligations and plans. And I realised that the way that most of us live and the way I live now, is with school bells and um, interviews in diaries and, you know, there's a lot more routine and plans in my life. But I'm really, really conscious of not letting them dictate my life and still making sure that there's a lot of breathing space and there's still a lot of, a lot of days with no plans. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, a lot of people think, um, you know, living in the city, Sydney must be so hectic. I'm like, not if you don't make it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, it really is about bringing that personal intention and choice. It, you know, your time is your guard. It is yeah. your your charge, mm. uh, and you have to do with it what you deem best. Exactly. And you know, on the road, we spent so much time in nature because when you live in a small space, you naturally gravitate outside for yeah, space and light and air and um, and so our family was spending kind of 10 to 12 days outside and I was often barefoot and it grounded me in a way that nothing else ever had. And, you know, in the book I talk about the fact that I'd always, from, you know, when my children were a very young age, encouraged them to go outside, don't come in till dinner time, play in the tree, you know, roll on the grass. And I'd always taken my children outside if Emotions were high and oh, yeah. tension was building, but I'd never given myself the same advice. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? Um, and I so like you know, a- as a mum, mm. as a parent, intuition tells you that child needs this. Yeah, uh, and we need to talk to our inner children, maybe. Mm. And I talk, it's the same with bedtimes. Like mm. we make sure our children are <laughs> bathed and like they've had water and they brush their teeth and they're in cosy pyjamas and they're tucked into bed and they get a story time with a dim light. But do we have a bedtime ritual for ourselves? Mm. 
it's you know I yeah um it's the most simple things yeah and they're the most grounding things and and I realized on the road that because I'd been so consumed in in a very busy hectic life where I was anxious and overwhelmed a lot of the time and I just couldn't access those simple rituals because I didn't have someone saying to me uh, you need to get rid of this and then opt for this instead like you know don't do the dishes just go and lie on the grass and look up at the jacaranda tree for 10 minutes and you you know just be in that moment there instead of trying to chase everything in the house and I was I was consumed by that Mm. domestic um house with an endless list of to-dos so um but yeah on the road I realized that Alex living in the city can walk 10 minutes down the road and find a big patch of grass and trees and take her shoes off and access nature and get grounded um and yeah so I realized that the lessons I learned were ultimately universal and that you don't have to pack your life up in a caravan to live more simply and to get grounded in nature and to consciously choose to have less obligations and plans dictating your life and ultimately create more breathing space for yourself and your family to live in a way that feels good and right for you. Yeah, beautiful. Um, I feel like this is a good time to ask you about fear, given you've mentioned anxiety and uh, and a few little bits in the last couple of minutes that made me think about how you talk about it in your book and how your relationship with fear has changed. Uh, how has it changed? It's still there, just like anxiety is still there. And I think um, I wouldn't have owned it like that a few years ago, Mm. but I definitely own it now. Um, And I think that ability to compartmentalise it is really is a grounding practice. Like that helps me, okay, I'm grounded and I can see that I'm actually starting to feel anxious. My heart rate's quickening. I'm breathing a little different. Um, I'm catastrophizing situations, Mm -hmm. all those little things that if I am not grounded, I can't realise that I'm doing those things. Um, But fear, you know, so I had a fear of change, which was overcome by a fear of complacency. And when we were packing up our lives, which took eight months from that night that we decided to travel to the evening that we drove out of our suburban street yeah wow that's funny yeah it's quite a long stretch of time to yeah so finish what you're going to say I have a question go um and so every day of those eight months when we were packing and selling a car and buying a caravan and emptying our bank account to do so which was a huge financial leap of faith um and many would say completely irresponsible um it would have been easier not to keep going it would have been easier to say actually we're not going to do this um but I just realized that in order to navigate fear you just need to make the steps really small and so that's what I did it was literally one book in a box at a time and um I just had to remind myself every day that even if I just emptied half a drawer today or even if I just took one bag to the op shop 
that was still a step forward. Yeah. And over that eight months, the question I wanted to ask was, how many times did you second guess yourself? Every single day. Yeah. Right up until the day before we left. I don't, I've, I've never caravaned or camped before. What are we doing? <laughs> so you like had we, literally, and I know I've read the book, but, like, I think it's important to emphasise here, you weren't one of those people who went away with the family all the time camping on the weekend. <laughs> no. No. Hmm. We had, I think we had a very romanticised idea about what it was going to be like. And, hmm. you know, there is the romance of the road trip around Australia. But that probably helped you actually get out the door, that romance. It did. It definitely did. And, you know, what else also helped me get out was the fact that I would only have a 20-foot four-foot caravan to look after instead of a three-bedroom house. But, again, coming back to intuition, it felt like the right thing for me to be doing. And I knew very, very strongly that if we didn't do it, I would regret it. That was a glaringly obvious truth. And, um, and so I just kept going. Beautiful. And so for someone out there who feels an intuition about something right now um, and it's a glaringly obvious truth that they would regret it if they didn't act on that intuition, what would you say to them? I think you just need to really trust. And that was another word that I came back to during those eight months of packing up that I just had to trust that we were making a decision that was good and right for us, which doesn't mean it's the decision that's good or right for the next person. Um, and, and it ended up being a decision that ultimately changed our lives and um, wasn't always easy and posed challenges even when we were on the road um, and it probably especially when we were on the road. But, yeah, best decision I've ever made. And it changed me on every single level as a woman and a mother. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. What are some of those changes that you feel like are the most obvious? I just don't care that much anymore about what other people think. Yay. That's always mm. a good one. Brilliant. And I think that's age yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely helps. Yeah. I remember when I turned 30, which was, almost eight years ago someone said to me oh you just the further into your 30s that you journey you just gain this confidence and you just kind of you you're more grounded in yourself and in your beliefs um, and I think also listening to my intuition and trusting it and and discovering that it was actually right helps with that confidence as well but I'm also just not interested in getting caught up in trivial matters and I'm also really, really determined to maintain that understanding that we really do, don't, we don't have to do all those social obligations, you know. We don't have to be doing A, B and C every week um, to, be, to be good citizens. It's just 
you know, we're just doing what's best for us and our family at the moment. And, and maybe that, you know, that means at the moment no extracurricular activities for our kids because I really value the free play that they have at the end of the day. And because I don't want to be rushing around everywhere all the time in a car and getting home and then rushing through dinner and witching hour and rushing everyone to bed. Um, and it also really helped dictate where we lived at the end of our journey um, and our choice to live in a very small town where we don't have to hop in the car all the time. And I feel like that's the choice that you've made as well, living where you do in the city, in that you can walk outside and if you need to get a few things from the shops, you can do that without getting in the car. Oh, my gosh, I would get in my car three times a week, four times exactly. a week. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm. And it's such a privilege, isn't it? Mm, it and, really but is. But it's also like that's what we really loved on the road when we camped up in small towns um, and we chose to travel really slowly. We weren't doing the trip to tick things off the list like it wasn't a bucket list trip to say we'd gone here, here and here. We just wanted to spend time together. That was the crux of it for us. And we really loved parking up in country towns or, you know, seaside destinations and not having to get in the car for a week because we could walk everywhere. I really loved that lifestyle and that's a lifestyle that we have now where we live and I'm grateful for it every day. It, yeah. just, it, it simplifies life. It really does, doesn't it? And I it genuinely really believe it, it, having to ferry and get into a car all the time is uh yeah, it, it feels unnatural, I think. It feels like there's just something about it that is so draining. It, it just creates this extra sense of have to, whether it, whereas just popping down the road on foot just does not have the same energetic um, result, I guess. Exactly. And I In, think, you know, yeah. it's exhausting. The, the car is exhausting, but <laughs> just walking around. You know, well, it definitely is in the city. And I think yes. that's why I very much love having constructed a bit of a village life mm. where everything happens on foot. Because that's it what makes, it is, isn't it? It's the village, yeah. Yeah, it makes the city very calm, actually. I genuinely yeah. don't feel stressed by the city. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think that that was, you know, coming back to what you said about choosing your own adventure. Um, people that live in the most urban places, can still have that village atmosphere, which from an environmental perspective, I mean, I know I'm in Tasmania and petrol's now over $2 a litre. So financially and environmentally, it's, it's a, it was a conscious choice for us to live in a place where we don't have to hop in the car all the time. Um, and, yeah, it's just realising that those conscious choices to live more simply absolutely possible for people that live in the city or people that live in small towns in Tasmania like me um, or people that live in a caravan on the road. Mm, absolutely. I remember when um, when I realised, just a simple example, right, of that scheduling and the after-school stuff, and I realised that Seb wasn't making any progress at all with French and, f like, with his little one lesson a week that, I would have to pick him up from school, drive him to, or my mum would, then have to mm. collect him. And parking was always a nightmare. And so I'd have to park in some parking station, then walk over, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it would mean we'd get home, dinner would be a rush, all the things that you just said before. 
um, which I, of course, with a singleton child situation, always feel a little touch guilty because <laughs> I'm like, how the heck do they do it with four? Um, but I remember just thinking, well, why don't we just try Duolingo on the on the um, phone? And he can just do that 10 minutes a day and we can ditch that whole Tuesday afternoon stress. And then now he can just hang out. And this was four years ago. Now he can just hang out in his room and play with his bionicles and draw a picture and um, do a tiny bit of homework and not have any of that. Um, And, you know, I think you have to ask, like, what is this for? Does it bring deep joy and sense of purpose to my child? Or do I really feel like... um, this is a wonderful way for them to spend their time and therefore for me to have a purpose around helping facilitate that. Um, I think it just comes back to our society's belief that that productivity is a sign of success and that whole hustle, drive, compete, succeed mentality starts with our children when they're enrolled in swimming and soccer and French and violin and yeah it boggles my mind but I'm glad I've stepped off that path it's probably one of the best decisions I made as a mother Mm, yeah Um, yeah even just at the start of this year I was like okay sweetheart you never seem to practice the drums but every night in the shower you sing 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 let's can, can I just check in with you do we want to keep doing the drum lessons or do you want to just really focus on your singing this year I just want to sing mum And it was so simple. I'm like, boom, 400 bucks a term. Thank you very much. Um, And then he is in one extra class during the day each week instead of missing out and then feeling overwhelmed, all the things. And how often do we check? Um, My favourite thing is a diary audit. Just have a look at the week ahead and go, do I like what I see? Or am I like, oh, my God, I can't believe I've got that on Wednesday morning and act accordingly. You know, everyone can do that. Yeah, and it's just that how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Are we dreading getting through this day because of the expectations we put on ourselves and our children? Um, Or are we just going to sit down and and really ask ourselves, like, what's important to us? What really matters to us at, at the moment and in this season of life? And as I talk about in the book, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a simplicity guru and simplicity is never perfect. Um, it's a, definitely... Yeah, it's an evolving journey rather than a destination, as you say yeah. in the book. Yeah, It ebbs and flows with the demands of life. And I think of it more as an attitude and a mindset mm. than the simplicity that we've been sold, which is kind of matching glass jars and linen and um, white minimal interiors. Mm. Um, you know, if you saw my kitchen bench now, it's... Um, it's none of those things. <laughs> Neither is mine. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's that attitude and mindset and I come back to it all the time, particularly when I'm feeling anxious or overwhelmed um, and I go, okay, how can I simplify here? Yeah, and you come to gratitude. You talk about that in great detail in the book as well. How does that look on a day-to-day level? Look, I think with the current situation in northern New South Wales and everything that's happening in the world, I don't think you can really get through your day and and not realise that the things that you're grateful for are the simple things 
mm. in life and you know it's it's fresh running water and it's a dry home and it's health um, and it's being able to put food on the table every night and perhaps it's the the gratitude for the absolute luxury that's hopping into bed of an evening with a good book and a cup of tea and it really is a luxury yeah it is a huge luxury and I think you know, we lived in a in a caravan with very little and we had to be very conscious of the weight and the size and the purpose of everything. And it really changed my whole perspective on, on what we accrue and what we bring into our lives. And one really simple way for me to practice simplicity is to weigh up the time I spend working to buy the things I do or don't need or want. Um, and we've actually recently bought our first family home, which in this day and age is, you know, it's not an easy feat and it definitely was a long winding road for us to get here. But we've very consciously chosen to live in a place where we don't have a huge mortgage. Um, but every single thing we buy for this house, we've really considered with it, we've sourced secondhand where we can um, and I just, I just can't justify spending a lot of time working when I could choose to buy something secondhand or to go without so that I've got that, that space, that time, because I think time is a bit, um, it's underrated, really. <laughs> so underrated. We talk about how busy we are <laughs> and mm. how crazy life is and, um, you know, I feel like imagine if, if we could all just make sure that we have one or two days in our week with no plans. What mm. would that look like for us? How would that change the way we live? How would that change what we prioritise? Is that the most powerful way to practise simplicity? I think that's a pretty, pretty compelling uh, call to arms for people to explore that. It's not really something anyone can answer for anyone else, is it? Mm. No, and that's the thing. It's You just kind of have to find your own way and to trust yourself in the decisions that you're making. And they're not always going to be respected by people around you. Yeah. Um, you know, no, they're we live not. In a, no. And, and to be honest, everyone supported us to go on our caravan adventure. There were so many people we met on the road that just could not fathom that we'd spent all our money, which was a really, you know, seven years we'd spent saving for a house deposit. They just couldn't fathom that we'd spent it all on a four-wheel drive in a caravan and we were travelling with our children without a home base and with very few belongings to go back to. Mm. Um, That's not their life to live, is it? It's yours. It's not their life, but it, mm. it, was, it was really interesting to um, have those conversations and to to realise that we are all on our own path. Mm. Um, so one of the lines in the book, it's never been easier to run away from ourselves or run from ourselves, I think it is. Um, and it feels like what we were just talking about there with time spent working to buy things that we've been so busy and culturally busy because it's a norm to be busy, isn't it? Um, that 
maybe we don't even know our real selves and that actually that fifth handbag is not that important um, or, you know, whatever that item is. Um, I feel like we're running through, I mean, it, I talk a lot about distraction in the book because I yes. think we're all quite distracted. Well, and it's hard to make a call and to be intuitive back to the fight or flight mode mm. in that distracted world. It really is hard. And I think it's about shutting down all those negative distractions or, you know, the distraction of social media is twofold because I distract people mm, I with know, my yeah. page. You know, I'm a creator. If it weren't for Instagram, would I have readers of books? Would I have people buying my book? Would I have people that have followed me? You know, I've been blogging since 2008. No, I wouldn't. Um, but I know the distraction of scrolling. We all know the distraction of scrolling. And it pulls us away from that intuition and from really those questions like what is good and right for me? But then there's the distraction of nature, which helps put everything into perspective and helps us realise that our small worries are, are quite in, inconsequential. So I just, yeah, that chapter was actually really hard to write because while I was writing it, I was distracted by my phone <laughs> and I was like, this is hilarious. Um, but then I also knew the. I talk about this night on the road when we were in a low-cost camp in Tasmania and we'd realised that our car needed significant work and it would literally take the rest of our money it would leave no money in our account. And that was a very real fear. Like I was feeling fear then. And I, I stepped bet. out of the yeah, I stepped out of the van that evening. And in Tasmania in summer, the sun doesn't set till about 9 p.m. So there's this, you know, it was late and I looked up and there were these murmurations of starlings swimming over a lake. And if you listened really closely, you could hear the wind that they were making, like walloping gushes, and you could feel it. And it was this profound moment of awe as I watched these birds fly in unison. And it just helped, well, it dispelled my fear, for one, because I was like, oh, who cares about a car when I can stand here and watch this? Um, and it also made me realise that this is what we're here to witness and this is what we need to be distracted by and this is what we don't, this is what we miss when we're staring into phones or rushing around trying to get the kids here, there and everywhere or just checking things off the list because we've got so much in our week. Absolutely. I interviewed a construction giant, actually, of all people, um, Teresa Cody. You would love that chat, um, Jodie. I'm going to send you the link after our chat now. But she talks about um, construction actually being a positive force for good uh, and that developers could clue into what human nature needs to feel safe, happy, connected, and to build accordingly. Uh, and she talks about bird noises and uh, water noises, um, local streams, all sorts of things that help um, you realise how 
we very intentionally need to ensure that those are in our daily mix uh, and the ebb and flow. Like, it's funny, I think because Potts Point is so near the botanical gardens, um, it's what, about sort of 800 metres away, I guess. Um, we have so many nature sounds and it is amazing it's just beautiful and they come in waves like you've got the invasive minor birds that are always dicking around trying to get involved in everything but then you've got this wave of cockatoos at one point in the evening and then another wave of kookaburras will come through and um, everything has a place and a time and a season um, change and uh, interestingly having lived in Sydney all my life I can't remember a time where I've been more connected to nature than actually closer to the CBD than I've ever lived, which is so interesting. And it's about that, um, like noticing where those parks are near you and and try and live accordingly. And I realise that's a privilege in itself to make that choice. Yeah, but it's also choosing to go to those places instead of the shopping And to centers. seek them out. Yes. Oh, my gosh, and yes. I was just yeah. writing a sustainability course uh, for Bupa this last month and... Um, one of the things I say about like once you've decluttered is to not then have a binge purge relationship with then recollecting all the items and then purging them all again to feel better. Um, and uh, once you've decluttered and defined what it is you actually need based on like for clothes, occasions that you have regularly coming up in your day-to-day, all that kind of stuff, um, one in, one out means that you don't have to go to a mall to browse. You don't, it's just not a thing that you do anymore because you no. don't need anything. No, and I can't, I mean, I live in a little town on the northwest coast of Tasmania and there are no shopping centres. Well, yeah, There's that no choice mall. has literally been taken away from you. Yeah, so. and yeah. I, do not, I do not miss it at all and, um, and I couldn't think of a worse way to spend my time. Um, but in saying that, I used to spend a lot of time wandering because in New South Wales I lived near a very big shopping centre and that's just where everyone went for everything and then you'd kind of get caught up. But I always, now I look back and I remember when I left, I was exhausted, completely drained every single time I left that shopping centre, like flat as a tack from the lights, from the sound, from the the bye-bye by mentality. So my bank balance was significantly lower as were my energy levels. (laughs) And I was frazzled, you know, and I couldn't, um, yeah. So so it just comes back to those little choices you make every day, those small steps. Wow. I just like had a little aha as you talked about that and I thought like mindless shopping is where you lose everything that's important and you gain everything that's not. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Now, I want to talk about the writing of the book. You've mentioned it a couple of times, and being that we're both authors, um, how was the experience of actually writing this book for you? It was a really esoteric process, and I just had to trust every day that the story would come to fruition. And I didn't know what that story was really going to be at the start. And 
I just weaved my way in and out of chapters and there wasn't anything formulaic about it. I started the book with that first chapter, Choose Your Own Adventure, and from there I just look, I look back and I, I, don't, I don't even know where I was or when I wrote some paragraphs. Um, and that's the only way I can describe it. But I remember it just, it just all came together towards the end, you know, and there were so many moments where I was like, this is terrible. Like, no one is going to read this. And like, I'd be crying. I'd be like, this is just awful. And oh, but I just had this stubbornness that I'm going to spend four to six hours a day writing this book for four months. And I, I did. And I wrote it in laundromats and laundry and um, libraries and, you know, in the dark of the caravan when everyone was asleep around me. And everything I read during that time informed my story a little more and helped me make sense of what I'd learned along the way. And I loved it and I hated it. <laughs> mm. I think that is such an adequate representation for most author experiences. Mm. I loved it and I hated it. My book, um, Lotox Life Food, the second one that came out last year, uh, was juxtaposed with the pandemic, lockdowns, homeschooling, as was so many people's lives over that time, and um, some serious both physical, financial um, challenges through having to move seven times. Um, that was literally the time of writing the book was that year. Um, and the weird part about that was that the book was my constant. It was the only thing that was always there in the tumult of 2020 uh, was this call to do something that mattered. Um, and I think it was almost I was grateful to have that sense of purpose, but I was shitty and angry a lot of the time that I couldn't feel excited and charged and free to write in the way I normally do because my brain would be on fire because we were in a mouldy apartment or my um, uh, heart would be having crazy, crazy palpitations because we moved into a place that we didn't know was right across from phone towers. Like, you name it, the challenges were insane that year. And, um, yeah, and it was, I loved it and I hated it. I hated things about the situation. Um, uh yeah it's it's a weird one writing a book and and then you feel like you can't I felt like I couldn't not enjoy the experience sometimes because oh my gosh there are people with parents and grandparents dying and think of the nurses doing 18-hour shifts right now with no respite and bad pay and um oh and all- just the immense privilege oh, exactly. of having a book contract is- yeah yeah um yeah cannot be underestimated and that's what I came back to in those really tricky times is that well someone's got faith in my story Mm. and it's interesting that you went through so much challenge that year and that all informed your book Mm. well if the food system isn't a challenging one to navigate right now I don't know what is yeah exactly and it's probably it's made you a better writer and I know that 
I know that some of my best work came from those days where I got perhaps one sentence on the page, but I was just mulling mm. over yes. ideas. And yeah, you need to go through the mull to get. Yeah, and it's like get, a, yeah. it's like they're marinating. You've got yeah. to, it's that breathing space. It's that resting space between getting words on the page. And just allowing everything just to sit and to trust that that's a really productive part of the process. And I'd say that goes for any creative work. Um, and I feel like it's, you know, it just comes back to that trust. And, again, those small steps. And I remember when I was writing it and I was like, you've got to stop thinking that you, you thinking about all the people that are going to read your book. And I did think about that. But I wrote the book for me more than anyone because I know how easily it is for me to walk off that path that I've chosen for myself and to get distracted. And so I I wrote it so that I could remind myself what matters. And I could come back to that time when we were on the road and I had those realisations so that really helped me along. And, and perhaps it did to you as well, because I know you've been in that food low-tox headspace for a long time now. And in your most challenging year, as you were confronted by all the things that have caused you challenge and ill health and financial burden, you managed to create a book. <laughs> that will help, and it's helped me so much, which is I hilarious. Know. I want to talk about that. Yeah. That um, you wrote the endorsement for my the cover of my book, and then a month later I was diagnosed celiac. Mm. <laughs> I you hope that wasn't out a some book. kind of hex. No. <laughs> you brought out a book that was like, here you go, here's a really simple way to navigate gluten-free life. Mm. And I was like, oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, you gave me the gift of an endorsement and then... Um, well, it's like you've given me a lot, really. I'm not sure what I've given you, but you gave me the gift of an endorsement and a gluten-free guide to life. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So how was that for you? Like why did you investigate celiac mm. to start with? What was what was playing out for you? So I've always had low iron mm-hmm. um, and... I have also had four children and mm. have breastfed them each for two years. So I just wow, that takes a lot out of a woman. Yeah, literally. Yeah I, yeah. yeah, I just presumed that that's why I was tired. And I, when we decided to settle in this area of Tasmania, I was really intent on finding a very good GP, which everyone, when you move to Tasmania, tells you is very very difficult because not a lot of medical we've got a rural health system down here um and i was determined and so i found this amazing woman who looked at my iron levels and she was like you need an iron infusion i she's just like this is ridiculous and um i said okay um so i got the iron infusion And then she's like, I want to get to the root cause of why you have low iron. And I was like, okay. So she said, I'm going to do further blood tests. And my celiac antibodies came back and they were just through the roof. And she said to me, do you have any, are you 
do you ever experience bloating or, um, you know, any bowel issues, um, foggy head? And I was like, no, not really. Like, and I'd, I was feeling so much better because of the infusion. And she said, look, your antibodies are through the roof and I'd like to send you for a gastroscopy. So I did that and the, um, you know, came out of the theatre and was in recovery and the specialist said to me, you are definitely celiac. And I had a little cry because I think when you're told that there's something wrong with you, no matter how small or big, it's, um, it's a little bit confronting. And then I stopped eating gluten and I... And this is going to make me cry because I did not realise how tired I'd been, how foggy my head was, how bloated I'd been. And I just I just had no idea. And now I feel like a different human. Wow, Jodie. Mm. We can go through so much of our lives not realising how good we're supposed to feel. It breaks my heart. when, Even when I just help people do a simple fragrance box-up challenge, get rid of the fabric softener, scented candles, air freshers, all the things, chuck in the garage, don't need to say goodbye yet, just put it there for three weeks, bring it all back, use it, plug everything in, get the fabric softener into the wash, let it roll around through the dryer and permeate through your house. How do you feel? And people are shocked that they had been slowly poisoned, essentially, because that's really what that is. Um, and by then being exposed all of a sudden to that poison, they didn't realise was one for them. For most people, in fact, biologically, by definition, hormone disruptors are poisonous um, when they're that elevated. Um, yeah, they're just, they're like, oh, my gosh, I got an instant headache oh, my gosh, I've gotten headaches all the time my whole life. I didn't realise. I just had two weeks without a headache and just all these ahas. And the same, I mean, for me with gluten as well, it was way before there were any resources that I was um, called on to do that experiment. And um, it was hard, but, like, hello, tonsillitis every three months was way harder um <laughs> so well now you know. I'm looking back and going how did I write a book and I've actually written a second book um at the time as well which will be released next year but I just I just don't know how I did it but that's the thing you just keep going you keep going until someone says or and I've always prided myself on being really in tune with my body and so it, I, I was like, wow, have I just been lying to myself? Like it was really humbling because I just, I, I had just put all those things down to exhaustion and lower iron and motherhood. Mm. Well, and we think, can rationalise all sorts of things. To, uh, yeah, But, that's but so the true. thing is it's always to a point. There's always some sort of breaking point. Um, like for me with mould, we were living in a war-damaged building for five, five and a half years before the shit hit the fan. And it was just a bit of resistant weight loss. Oh, your estrogen's a bit high. Oh, you're a bit tired and foggy. Everything could be rationalised to business owner, mum of small kid, um, you know. Busy life. Busy life, all the things. And yeah. this speaks to exactly what you were talking about with that culture of busy and how easy it is to run away from ourselves. Um 
that actually we don't even realize how out of tune we actually are with ourselves. Yeah, it's coming back to yourself just the way you are Mm. and then making choices again, I'll say it again, that are good and right for you and your family. Jodie, I almost feel sad to end this conversation where it's (laughs) ending, but I know it's time. Thank you so much for writing Practicing Simplicity. I think uh, it's such a a powerful book um, and such an incredibly personal share publicly to invite people to explore their own lives and their own choices and check in really more regularly. Um, Such a pleasure to chat to you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Alex. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at lowtoxlife, or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at lowtoxlife. Uh, and of course, lowtoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lowtox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.